The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we want to extend another special welcome to listeners of the NRM Streamcast, which, as we mentioned last week, is one of the Leslie Marshall Show's new streaming partners. Thanks for joining us, NRM Streamcast listeners. Glad to have you as part of the show. So on today, we're going to be talking about NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, which was originally enacted in January of 1970, and NEPA has been law in the United States for over 50 years. Uh, Designed to promote the enhancement of the environment, uh, NEPA established the President's Council uh, on Environmental Quality. But earlier this year, and I don't think this will come as a surprise to most of our listeners, but earlier this year, uh, the Trump administration announced plans to roll back NEPA. They don't think we need clean water, clean environment, apparently. So it's led to widespread concern in the environmental and civil rights spaces. Uh, To take a closer look at the proposed rollback, its potential consequences, we are joined today in studio by Kareen Taylor, the Director of Federal Legislative Affairs at We Act for Environmental Justice. Thanks for joining us, Kareen. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for having us um, here today, especially to represent uh, the Voice for Environmental Justice communities and how NEPA impacts us. Absolutely, absolutely. Such an important part of this conversation, so thanks for being here. And we're also joined by Sally Hardin, Deputy Director of the Energy and Environment War Room at the Center for American Progress. Thanks for joining us, Sally. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So, folks, NEPA, this work... I, just to just to sort of like ease us in here and get us started, Kareen, would you mind sharing a little bit about your work at We Act for Environmental Justice and, and how you come to this work? Awesome. Yes. So We Act uh, for Environmental Justice is an environmental justice organization founded and based at, um, in Harlem, New York, 31 years ago. Um, our founders, uh, Bernice Miller, Travis, Chuck Sutton, Peggy Shepard, um, just saw the need to make sure that communities in Harlem um, could participate meaningfully in the creation of environmental health policies and procedures. And over the 31 years of WEAC's existence, we've been involved at every single level of um, policymaking at the city, state, uh, federal uh, levels, um, looking at everything from healthy homes to addressing um, just a number of bus depots that were coming in and out of Harlem and how that would impact or did impact the quality of air for um, our residents, uh, creating and providing more green spaces for Harlem residents and even fixing up and cleaning up the Hudson River. So mm-hmm. um, in 2012, we uh, were able to establish our D.C. office. And so I've been a part of that work since 2015. And um, right now we're in the multitude of fights, particularly with this administration, but NEPA is something that we definitely care about. 
Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing um, not uh, in Harlem, in New York, and, and federally and nationally. Really appreciate yep. the work of, uh, of, of your organization. Uh, and Sally, uh, if you could just share with us a little bit about the mission of the, the CAP Energy and Environment War Room and the work that you all do. Absolutely, yeah. So um, we were created at the beginning of the Trump administration, the uh, War Room specifically, to push back and hold the Trump administration accountable for all of their actions that were harming the environment and uh, Americans writ large. And um, NEPA is actually kind of a personal issue for me as well because I worked at the Council on, on Environmental Quality under uh, President Obama, and while I was there, you know, so we the, the Council on Environmental Quality only existed thanks to NEPA being passed mm-hmm. in 1970. So I was grateful to have a job there for that, for that reason. Then and also um, while I was there, I worked with uh, the managing director at the time, Christy Goldfuss, to. Um, pass guidance that directed agencies to consider greenhouse gases um, and how to do that. So to think through how to think how their projects are going to impact uh, the climate and climate change. So can you just tell us, Sally, at a, at a really high level, you touch on the Council of Environmental um, Quality, uh, just like at a really high level, what does it mean? What is NEPA? Why does this matter? Why should Why should anybody care that it might be rolled back? Absolutely. So NEPA sounds like a wonky Washington acronym, and we get caught up in that a lot. But really what it is is um, one of the most important laws that allows the public to weigh in on federal government decisions that impact their lives and their communities. Uh, So it not only protects our clean air, clean water, but also gives the public a right to comment um, and be listened to and be responded to by the federal government when they're planning roads and bridges and things like that are big infrastructure like that, but also when they're planning pipelines and oil and gas leases and how to use our public lands. Um, So it is a critical statute that kind of uh, espouses a look before you leap attitude towards planning, um, and you know I think Kareen can speak to this more, but it's definitely also a civil rights tool insofar as it gives people a voice in how the government is impacting their lives. Yeah, I mean, for that segue, Kareen, if you if we could talk a bit more about how this is both a civil rights issue and 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 what impact it has on people's lives and how it's what impact this could have on communities in a really tangible way. For sure, um, environmental justice communities don't have that many uh, effective tools in terms of protecting um, our communities, and but NEPA is um, a great example of a tool that we typically rely on. Um, NEPA, you know, we know that it's our, our oldest environmental law, and the whole goal of NEPA is to pr- promote the general, wo- general welfare for everyone, but as it relates to communities, um, it really allows communities to have a say in terms of all the federal actions that come into um, effort federal projects like highways and, and a whole host of projects to just say, you know, if this is coming into my community, how will it impact us? Um, And how do we look at all the cumulative projects that currently already exist? And how do we, um, you know, be... I think more um, holistic in terms of deciding if this is something that's appropriate here. And so this has been a tool that uh, I think environmental justice communities have relied on. And in many cases, I think EJ communities in using NEPA have strengthened NEPA over the, um, the 50 years that it's existed. Absolutely. So, and when we're talking about things like highways, we're talking about whether a highway can be built in a certain community, whether it should just sort of get imposed, yeah. right? Like, so, you know, uh, I'm thinking about uh, Santa Monica, where I went to high school out in California. The 10 freeway runs smack dab through a community, and it had incredible impact on that local community. Not surprisingly, it is the one black and Latino enclave in that city, mm-hmm. right? And that that is where that freeway went. Um, and so we're talking about the opportunity for communities and cities 
to to sort of say you called it look before you leap sort of push back and say hey have you have you thought about have you looked at the impact it'll have locally this is why we in favor this is why we're we're opposed right right? and it's it it gives us a voice in the planning of everything from highways bridges pipelines etc it also um in addition to looking at how it'll impact you know um the environment you we can also talk about the economic impacts of that like if a project might um affect folks's uh property value if 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 there if there would be in some kind of way impacts on um housing all of those kinds of things i think um it's a very important tool that allows communities to not only say you know this is what's currently existing but be at the table to really make sure that their needs are addressed what explanation has the Trump administration given for wanting to roll this back? Um, so their best explanation is that they think that it currently presents a lot of red tape and can be onerous um, for companies that are trying to build projects, for the federal government to build infrastructure. So the, the buzzwords that they use a lot are that they want to modernize and streamline, streamline the law. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what that means is just um, kind of gut the key provisions of it and restrict public input, silence the voices of communities, um, and really lessen the consideration of impacts that these projects will have on communities and the environment. Yeah, the proposed rule would cut the public comment period from 45 days to 30 days. And so that might look great from a developer's perspective, but for that community there, that means 15 less days to really be involved in the process to um, find out what's going on. And that's not enough time for communities to organize and respond to the technical documents. And and sometimes these are like hundreds of pages and sometimes they're only provided in English. So um, when we think about the time that, you know, it currently, exist we some folks would say that we need more time to meaningfully engage so if we're if we're going to cut back on the time that communities have to participate we're setting ourselves we're setting ourselves up for projects that are be that'll be uh just further detrimental to to those communities so cutting red tape here sounds like it's really code word for letting companies and corporations do whatever they want Mm-hmm. That's exactly put, right. Put pipelines, put freeways, development, not take into account environmental impacts, not take into account impact on local communities. So we're gonna we're gonna go to break here. When we come back, we're gonna dig a little deeper about how NEPA works, the protections it includes, and 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 what's at stake here, and what folks can do as we look to push back on these rollbacks. Uh, we'll be right back with the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Uh, Today we've got two great in-studio guests. Um, We're talking about some of the the attempted rollbacks uh, that the Trump administration is trying to do that would um, be bad for our environment, um, but also... Uh, very immediately, really bad for our communities, um, particularly folks living in under-resourced communities, um, where they're often sort of the like an afterthought when it comes to our federal government. Um, it's uh, it's something that um, we think is a really important thing for folks to provide comments on. So we have here in studio uh, Kareen Taylor um, from We Act for Environmental Justice. Kareen, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. And we also have Sally Harden from the Energy and Environment War Room at the Center for American Progress. Excited to be on. Um, so I want to jump right back in here. Um, we were talking in the last segment about NEPA, N-E-P-A. Digging a little bit deeper, how does NEPA work? What protections does it include? 
So NEPA was a statute, is still a statute, that was passed in uh, 1970. It's not dead yet. It's not dead yet. Um, Passed in 1970 (laughs) under a Republican administration, actually. It was uh, Richard Nixon, and it was wildly bipartisan. I think there were only three votes against it, um, you know, out of 100 in the Senate. Um, And it is a short law, um, but basically it requires that the government consider the environmental impacts of its actions like roads, bridges, pipelines, oil and gas leases, um, any kind of major federal action on uh, the environment and on communities and public health. so I think some of the, the key points, and, and I'll let Corrine, you know expound on this a bit more, is um, one thing that it does is that the government has to consider alternatives. So if they're looking at putting hi- a highway through a community, like Brent mentioned in the earlier segment, uh, they have to think about other places that they could put that same highway and think about the environmental impacts of um, putting it in a different spot. They also have to do an environmental assessment of their actions. And if it seems like it's going to be really, really major um, kind of impacts to the environment, so let's say polluting water uh, that matters for communities and and that is their uh, drinking resources, then there needs to be an environmental impact statement, which is a longer review of the project. Um, And most importantly, I think, is the fact that it provides uh, opportunity for the public to engage throughout the process, generally through public hearings and also through a public comment period uh, where the government has to listen to and actually respond to all of the public's comments. And I think uh, what's even interesting about NEPA is that it's been something that's been duplicated in other countries. Over 185 other countries have created similar laws and rules like NEPA, and 16 states have created what we call their own little NEPAs. And so um, with, with it not only being that influential to how environmental policy is developed internationally, you know, it's our oldest environmental law. In many cases, people call it like the Magna Carta of environmental laws. And so if we're going to um, witness the the I guess the, the dilution of what is our oldest and most significant environmental law, then we're just going to have to be prepared for even more attacks. And I just honestly, it's been, what, 95 rules or so that have been attacked just on the environment alone in this administration. And so, you know, I think the the heightened awareness that has come specifically um, from communities speaks to the value of protecting NEPA. I think um, there there's a strong emphasis in this administration to say that we need to streamline and um, expedite these processes. But what we're what we know for sure is that what isn't happening is um, there needs to be more meaningful engagement for communities. One of the uh, um, f- foundational uh, perspective for communities is that we should be able to be at the table and have a say. And in 2015, um, the federal um, inner working um, inner working agencies of like all of the federal agencies that impact um, NEPA created their own prim- document called Promising Practices, which went into like length at length in terms of how to better ground um, NEPA into environmental justice principles. And none, none of the proposed rollbacks kind of correlate with what was discussed in promising practices where where the where there was a big stress on early and often and really strong engagement this is totally turning an eye from um allowing communities to be at the table to discuss what's going to happen to their to their neighborhoods and to their communities yeah i mean in there's a there's you said 2015 right there's a there is a different set of values at play unfortunately in the white house and in the trump administration than there was in 2015 um, where the health and s- safety and sustainability of communities was really valued uh, to today where it really sounds like the Trump administration is putting profits of corporations 
um, ahead of, of of individuals and communities and families. And so, I mean, that that's the only rationale that at least I'm I'm able to get to right now as we talk about uh, wanting corporations to be able to lay uh, gas pipes and 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 create new uh, pipelines without having adequate input from community members, uh, without having adequate in- input from cities and states about what that could do. Um, and so as we think about sort of values and how this flows from values, it seems like there's just a general disconnect from what was happening in 2015 when promising practices was put forward. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm thinking about the Trump administration right now in the context of this. Um, who would be harmed the most by this change in policy? Well, I think we've been saying it like community people, like everybody, I think, would be harmed um, to not value uh, clean air and clean water clearly seems to be the drive here and uh, as you said putting profits over people but if one of the, it's crazy one of the recommendations is to issue bonds um, for people to um, require a judicial review of some of these assessments so you're pretty much asking people who are already struggling day to day who um, might be impacted by one of these uh, projects to put money up to pretty much you know, take an issue to court. You know, how problematic is that? You're you're asking people who are already limited in in, their, in resources and time to then, um, you know, show find out what's happening versus uh, engage with them uh, proactively in terms of what's going on in their communities. Everything about this process is just to speed it up to, and then also to, I think in many ways, hide the ball in terms of what's going on. I think they're even um, recommending that the project developers themselves do their own assessments. So what kind of misguided um, reviews would that be? We've already seen, like for for example, when Boeing was doing their own assessments of their, and, and um, um, looking at their planes, what happened? We had plane crashes. We had, you know, um, issues going on in, in, in those uh, in, in those planes, putting lives in jeopardy. So that type of mindset is how they want to then turn over our environment, turn over our, our communities, our public spaces to industries who don't care. This is sort of an, another example of uh, the Trump administration having the fox guarding the hen house. Um, and I want to pick up on that when we come back from this commercial break. Uh, you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we are joined in studio by Kareen Taylor and Sally Hardin, and we're talking about NEPA, the, Nash, the uh, Environmental Protection Act and the uh, Environmental Policy Act, excuse me, and the rollback that the Trump administration is proposing right now. Um, so just jumping right back in, and I'll say, actually, before I do, if, if you've heard the first part of this conversation and you were concerned about these rollbacks, we still have time to act. You can go to genprogress.org right there on our homepage, and there is an opportunity for you to send a comment uh, in opposition to these rollbacks. So there is still time for us to comment and be heard. Uh, Sally, before we go further, uh, if you could just really briefly tell us, like, so this went into, this is a statute. It was passed by Congress in 1970. How can Trump unilaterally use executive action to roll some of this back? Yeah, great question. Um, so the statute, as you, as you mentioned, passed in 1970. The statute itself is only six pages long. It's very short. It has a clear intent of pro- protecting the environment and 
considering the government's impacts on the environment, but it left it up to the White House Council on Environmental Quality, which it created, to figure out how it sh that should be done um, al along with the agencies of the government. So what's being attacked right now is the regulations, the rules um, for the uh, agencies that were created about eight years after the statute was passed. Um, and that is the years and years now that we have of how environmental review is done. Um, it's what allows for public input. It's what um, requires agencies to look at the cumulative impacts of their actions over time. So not just looking at like, if, if I'm um, building this highway, I'm, you know, uprooting trees, but also, wow, there's a lot of air pollution that comes from years down the road from all those cars. And think about the communities whose health worsens over time being near that air pollution. Um, so it's the it's the Trump administration attacking those underlying regulations without touching the statute. That's Congress's job. Got it. Got it. Thank you. That's helpful. Uh, that's helpful. So as as we just before we jump into what's sort of what's next and what's coming, can can you give us another real world example of of how NEPA is used and what this rollback could could um, could mean? Sure. Um, there is a community in South Carolina that I think is one of the few examples of a NEPA win. In uh, 2000, uh, the South Carolina State Port Authority was proposing to build um, this like multi-million dollar uh, terminal um, at a former uh, Navy base. And this uh, predominantly black community in North Charleston, they heard about what was, going, what was going on. They were incredibly concerned and they formed an organization that they call the Low County Alliance for Model Communities. And it was just a group of seven neighborhoods um, that near the container site for where, uh, where this proposed terminal was gonna be. And they worked with the city of North Charleston to minimize um, negative impacts. And they secured $4 million in investment um, as a part of the assessment of this project. And they used um, $3 million of that to build a community center and then a million dollars for um, affordable housing, educational uh, scholarships, and youth programs. And so, again, the project did go on, but they were able to mitigate uh, some of the potential issues by participating in the assessment process and then also saying, well, you know, we need these kinds of investments in our community as well. Absolutely, no. That that totally makes sense. And so it's uh, it's not just a mechanism to quote unquote shut things down, but it's an it's a mechanism to say how do we mitigate the risks to the community, and then how do we also bring in positive investments where there might be something coming in that's a negative investment. Yep. Right. Um, if this thing's going to happen, then how do we make sure that our communities are still um, safe and healthy, mm -hmm. and um, make sure that there's a the input of people who are actually going to have to deal with the repercussions. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing, and I don't know if we've talked about it, but I think folks are really concerned about the cumulative uh, impacts and cumulative effects not being um, not being required in these assessments, and that particularly is going to hurt communities even more because we communities, EJ communities, are disproportionately already impacted by environmental um, racism and just systemic issues. But if we T and put the layer of climate change on that, that's going to further exasperate um, these problems. So if these assessments aren't required to look at cumulative effects and then also not even required to look at climate change, we're just going to see more and more problems in our um, most vulnerable communities. So I know right before the break we were talking a little bit about this it's sort of like an across-the-board fox guarding the hen house approach that it seems like the Trump administration has had to some of um, just it's almost like regardless of what the agency is or what the department is um, uh, that they're sort of that 
the Trump administration is kind of putting people in place um, who maybe don't have the best interests of um, of everyday Americans uh, at, <laughs> who perhaps possibly have uh, like I don't know like oil and big oil in their pockets or something like that hypothetically. Um, so who is overseeing this rollback process and comment period, and what should people know about this council? Yeah, so it's the the White House Council on Environmental Quality are the, are the folks who have kind of instituted and gotten the ball rolling here. Um, I think something to note at the outset, so the council works a lot with the agencies, particularly uh, the environmental agencies, Department of Interior, Environmental Protection Agency, Department of Energy, et cetera. Um, a lot, all of those ener- those agencies actually are currently headed by former lobbyists. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump has the most former lobbyists of any president ever um, in his cabinet, which okay. I think is worth noting. So it's like the people who who used to come and say, hey, I'm here representing like big oil or mm-hmm. big chemical or, you know, the car companies, everything like that. And That's so exactly right. Now they're going in and now they're actually the people in charge of like receiving those pitches and not only receiving those p- pitches, but writing the rules that impact their former uh, businesses buddies. and yeah. buddies. Exactly. Um, so I think another term for this this rule, this rollback could be the the dirty pipeline rule. Um, if you look at who really benefits here, it's um, fossil fuel companies that um, you know are going to have basically no oversight in building you know more refineries in environmental justice communities and in and around them, or building pipelines um, out in the open spaces that we've worked to protect, um, things of that nature. They're going to have a lot less um, kind of oversight and requirements for those moving forward. So it's just another win for these big big oil fossil fuel companies that have just been kind of raking it in during the Trump administration. So much for uh, draining the swamp. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we're here in D.C. This is happening right now. Uh, The the comment period on these rollbacks is still open. Folks can go to genprogress.org or a host of other organizations, but right on our website on genprogress.org and comment in opposition to these rollbacks, uh, really letting the government know that, uh, and the Trump administration, excuse me, know that the that NEPA is incredibly important and that we need the opportunities as communities to comment on and push back on, in some cases, uh, development projects or other projects that jeopardize environmental quality. So how are organizations and politicians, elected officials, local electeds, uh, et cetera, fighting back right now? How are folks pushing back at this moment? So um, one of the things that the council who's overseeing this did is that they held two public hearings, um, which I think Karina and I would both agree is not nearly enough. They held one one in Denver and one in D.C. Um, you know, po- so many people flew in from out of town to be a part of these hearings, which is amazing, but we shouldn't have to expect citizens to spend their private resources in order just to make their voices heard um, on these topics. So there's been a request from um, all kinds of groups across the spectrum that both the comment period be extended, uh, which it seems like is not going to happen. And, and again, as Brent said, the comment period currently closes on next Tuesday, March 10th. Um, and there's also been a request to have more more of these public hearings in places that are more accessible to people who don't have the ability to travel um, and show up at these kinds of hearings. Yeah, um, the two hearings, one in Denver, one in D.C., I think there were only 72 spots in the Denver hearing, and they went like Hamilton tickets. They went incredibly (laughs) fast. Um, Here in Washington, D.C., those tickets went fast as well. We had staff in both our D.C. and New York office um, trying to get listening and speaker tickets, and it was virtually impossible. I think we got like three. It was a very um, hard um, 
um, just just to get people signed up. And so in cohort with um, a number of groups that are, com- that are concerned about this, we were able to transfer tickets, you know, from organization to organization. But it, it was ridiculously hard to not only make sure that those communities could be here, but with limited resources, you know, we're thankful that we got like 17 EJ orgs to come in just through our, our um, Environmental Justice Leadership Forum. But it shouldn't be that way. And if we think about all of the places that right now are going through problems, the the Gulf South, um, you know, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, those places, they deserve hearings in those regions. We de- we need to see hearings in, in Detroit, in Minnesota. Um, we need to see hearings in, in Arizona and a whole lot of places that uh, people right now are dealing with real issues around NEPA where they've relied on NEPA for years or, you know, need protection. But if you're only having it in very... Um, in, in you know remote from the in terms of cost like getting to Denver isn't cheap you know flying into DC and getting a hotel um, competing with all these folks who are coming in for other congressional business that's pricey and I think that it, again this is an intentional look at what what's to come uh, it's all about silencing communities it's all about minimizing efforts to really listen to us but what I will say is that we showed up in our full force um, last week uh, to the to testify and at these hearings and a whole bunch bunch of us are getting our comments together and we're going to push through and we're going to make sure, um, you know, that voices are, um, that people are heard from and that, you know, not only are we going to have robust comments, but we're going to make sure that even, you know, looking at field hearings or however we can to to keep having this conversation going beyond the March 10th deadline is something that we all want to see. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're so right. This thing is sort of purposefully opaque it seems um they're sort of counting on people not noticing or not being able to access this stuff which um you know i'm so glad that you guys have been organizing to have people at stuff in person um but it also seems like uh like just the number of of comments online is gonna make it hopefully make a big impact too is that right yeah, I think that's definitely the goal. And, and you know, as Kareen said, there's a lot of organic um, desire from a lot of the people who are impacted by this rollback to um, make their voice heard, submit their comments. Um, one thing that I think is really frustrating is that um, there's two big industry groups, the one that's sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce and another one that's just uh, some Republican operative um, where they are spending over $5 million to um, kind of drive comments from trade associations um, and other folks, businesses, et cetera. Um, and, you know, our side just doesn't have those kind of resources. You I know? think I saw an ad for that. I think I you saw probably a commercial uh, when just like at the TV outside my office. They, um, they up- ran ads during the Democratic debates a few weeks ago. So <laughs> I, I will just to make a connection to a uh, tangentially related but crucially important issue, the For the People Act which would focus really on getting some big money out of politics and ensuring that we don't have corporate interests buying our legislative branch or buying executive action, uh, was passed by the House of Representatives as H.R. 1. It's on the Senate and Senate Leader uh, Mitch McConnell, to Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, to move this. But it's a critical component as we talk about climate change, as we talk about environmental quality, to making sure that we have elected officials who are acting uh, not not in the best interest of their pockets, but in the best interest of American people uh, and um, uh, communities here in the United States. Uh, so just a just a plug for how these things are all related. The For the People Act would help to get some of this corporate special interest money out of politics, so that we're actually having uh, legislation going forward that's in the best interest of our communities. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk just a bit more about what folks can do at home about the comment period for NEPA. Uh, and what's coming next. So we'll be right back on the uh, Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show. 
Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Uh, today we are talking about the National Environmental Policy Act. It's uh, something that the Trump administration is in the process of trying to roll back, and we as advocates uh, are trying to stop him and his administration from doing. Um, we've got some fabulous guests here in studio. We have Kareen Taylor uh, from the from We Act for Environmental Justice. Thanks for being with us, Kareen. Thanks. Uh, and we also have Sally Harden from the Energy and Environment War Room at the Center for American Progress. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, we're in the process of the comment period. As as I think we said in um, the past segment, uh, folks are still able to go um, and submit their own public comments. You can go, for example, to genprogress.org. It's right there on our homepage. Uh, we have a sort of prefabbed comment that you can use, um, or you can also tweak it to say whatever it is you want to say about why this would be bad um, after having learned about why this would be so bad um, for communities uh, across the country on this show. Um, once the comment period closes, what is the next step um, in this process? So once the common period closes next Tuesday. Yes, I would just say yeah, that is uh, March coming 10th, up. March coming 10th. up, six days. Um, then it is up to the White House Council on Environmental Quality to look at, read through, and respond to all the public comments that have been submitted. So just another plug to put put in those comments. It, the longer that they have to respond to things um, and think through what people are saying, the, the longer it takes them to finalize the rule. But um, unfortunately, the next step is just them finalizing and issuing the final rule. It's very possible that people will um, disagree and potentially, you know, take legal action against the final rule, but um, it seems like that could happen anytime between probably about late spring and the election. Do you do you have any advice for folks? So as Charlotte said, there's a prefab comment on there. We want to make it as easy as possible for folks to engage, but there's also the opportunity for people to edit, revise, put their own comment in. Do you have any advice on, on what people can do to make their comments as effective as possible? Definitely, um, you know, use that template, but try to make it personal by talking about what's currently happening in your neighborhood. If you're a part of any um, organization that concern, is concerned about this, making it personal, because I think they even have software to kind of go through and weed out things that are like um, that are too close to form. And so um, use the template, but let that be just, you know, a good place to start to kind of um, think about your, your comments and just to kind of be a place to get your, your juices flowing, but make it as personal as possible. Cite maybe examples that, you know, if there's been a project in your community and how that's impacted you, et cetera. So um, use the template, but don't rely on the template solely. And I think one other quick note on that is just that um, this rollback would impact the federal government's ability to consider climate change in their decision making. And that is so significant for literally any, any citizen of this country. So whether you're a young person, an old person, um, you can definitely talk about climate change in your comments about this rule. Yep. Uh, just so that everyone's aware, science is real. Climate change Whoa, exists. Oh, mind blown. Right? Like, I, I know that's not the flavor of this administration, but the fact that this would prevent the government from considering climate change as part of decision making is hugely irresponsible. Such a provocative statement, Brent. <laughs> I, sorry, I, I believe in science. 
so what else can folks do if they're at home in addition to writing these comments? I would say call your um, your elected officials at the federal level, even the state and the city and county level, because again, these projects are are local. Um, you know, at the at the city level, et cetera. So get all those levels of government involved and let them know that you're concerned, and then they too can follow up with their own letter, et cetera. So you know, get on the phone, get on those emails, do whatever, and like just get people to move. I know there are a few um, letters going around even in in the House and the Senate around this, and so this is an opportunity, I guess, to push people who haven't already um, signed on to some of these resolutions, but that, that that's something that we could definitely see some good support around. Yeah, and and I would say, you know, um, it's not all bad. We've seen some real great champions in the House of Representatives. um, And if you call your elected officials, then uh, they, you know, they're there to serve you and they can raise these issues um, up even higher. And I think, you know, if the Council on Environmental Quality is hearing from members of Congress that that, um, you know, really kind of ups the ante on this issue. So I, I think calling your members is a great idea. Yeah, and I want to also remind folks and encourage folks that this is not um, like we are not, there's still a chance, right? There's still, this is still um, a very hopeful process. I I think, I mean, I was in, I was involved in one with the Department of Education, a a comment period um, a couple years ago, um, and DeVos was trying to roll back something and working with Generation Progress, um, where I work, we actually stopped them from rolling back one of the things that they were hoping to roll back, and they had to revert to an Obama era role because we could, like, submitted so many comments with the help of so many folks who were going to be impacted so uh it's it's the law they have to read all this stuff uh so the more comments we have in there the better that's right that's right and so where can where can folks learn more about nepa in particular or more about the work that you're doing at we act for environmental justice and and uh kareen let's start where, where folks can learn about, about the work that you have underway. Well, for sure, online, you can find us at We Act for EJ um, on our um, our website. And on social media, that's the same thing. It's We Act with the number four EJ on Twitter and Instagram. And on our website, we do have a page that's just de- dedicated to NEPA. We have um, some one-pagers t- just to describe the law um, in more detail and also um, a draft letter just for folks to look at um, that we helped uh, show our members um, in Harlem how to draft a letter so that's you know a place to kind of get some information there and we're currently doing a countdown every day on our Instagram we're posting um, something that everyone can do around NEPA so follow us um, at we act for EJ and then also the EJ forum um, uh, handle on Instagram so we act for EJ that's mm-hmm. on Instagram that's your website and Twitter and yep and our website yep Awesome, awesome. Sally, where can fi- folks find more info about your work? Um, yeah, so on the Center for American Progress website, uh, you can find a number of different columns of ours um, that are just helpful resources summarizing what exactly the Trump administration is trying to do here, if you didn't catch it all on the show, um, as well as when communities didn't have a say, uh, what happened before NEPA, some specific examples of communities that were terribly impacted by projects because they didn't have the opportunity to comment. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Cap Energy Policy. Um, That's our handle, and we are constantly tweeting out ways to get involved, um, products, that sort of thing as well. Awesome, awesome. So that's just about all the time that we have for today. We want to thank our producer, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, As always, thanks, Mark. Our guests that are in studio, Kareen Taylor and Sally Hardin, thank you both so much. And, of course, to all of our listeners, thanks for joining us on this show. I would also like to thank Emily Leach, who works at Generation Progress and helps us pull this show together every single week. Every single week. Thank you, Emily. 
And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at GenProgress.